0: Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. It's been two weeks since I took a vow of silence. Author, chef, and Tibetan Buddhist practitioner Kimberly Snow writes, and as far as I can tell, no one has noticed. When people come into the kitchen here at Dorje Ling, I simply nod as they talk, sometimes murmuring, "Hmm." that neutral little sound that expresses so much and reveals so little. I can sense my reputation as a good conversationalist increasing daily. When I first went silent, I kept fingering a pad and pen in my pocket, planning to write silence or maybe silent vow, but I've never had to bother. Today, I stand by the big Hobart mixer, dumping in flour and salt, listening to its steady drone, hearing it for the first time as a sculpture of sound rather than an irritating noise one must talk over. The slosh slosh of the dishwasher, the hiss of the burners, the controlled clamor of the fan and the hood of the stove all have become my allies in a world without speech. I remember the long Sunday afternoons in South Carolina when I would hide under the giant ferns and listen to the streams of talk from aunts and grandparents, all mingling into a living river of familiar voices. It seemed normal to me that the same tales with the same digression about who was kin to whom would be told over and over. I took it for granted that when a gap opened, someone must rush in to fill it up with words, sounds, stories. As I listen now to the kitchen machinery, my body relaxing into mechanical rhythms, I feel no urge to add my voice to the clamor of the world. I've come to see most talk as a sort of verbal, verbal littering that blights and obscures the vastness of the landscape. When talk is happening, other things don't happen, can't. These other things are what I am after. And I'm not about to start talking again until the silence has done its work. Even then, it will take something truly substantial to make me speak. We live in a noisy world. And in fact, people have been complaining about it for all of recorded time. The Epic of Gilgamesh is the oldest surviving literary work composed nearly 4,000 years ago in ancient Mesopotamia, today's Iraq and eastern Syria. In it, the deities grow so tired of the noise of humanity that they send a great flood to wipe us out. Researching her book, The Soundscape of Modernity, Princeton professor Emily Thompson found descriptions in early Buddhist texts describing big city noise circa 500 years before the Common Era. Elephants, horses, chariots, drums, gongs, and people so noisy. And in his The Plague of City Noises, published in 1896, New York surgeon J.H. Gardner cataloged the cacophony of horse-drawn vehicles, peddlers, musicians, animals, and bells. Throughout time, everyone's complained about the noise, and it's only gotten worse. More cars, more planes, more ubiquitous TVs and speakers, more whirring appliances, more buzzing and pinging gadgetry. Across Europe, an estimated 450 million people, roughly 65% of the population, live with noise levels that the World Health Organization deems hazardous to health. Composer and environmentalist R. Murray Schaefer did a study of emergency vehicles, which have to be loud enough to break through the din. In 1912, a fire engine siren reached up to 96 decibels at a distance of 11 feet. In 1974, it was 114 decibels. In 2019, it was 123 decibels. 96 to 114 to 123 might not sound like much of an increase, but decibels are measured on a logarithmic scale. So 90 decibels is actually 10 times the sound pressure as 80 decibels, registering roughly twice as loud to our ears. The world is getting much, much louder. Adding to the din, there's a second kind of noise, informational noise. Several years ago, Eric Schmidt, who was then CEO of Google, estimated that every two days, we were creating as much information as we had in the time between the dawn of civilization and 2003. Every two days. The updated number is that we are now bombarded with five times as much information as we were in 1986. More and more stuff competes for our attention. Obviously, some of it is a blessing. Digital contact with faraway loved ones, the opportunity to participate in the hybrid services and gatherings throughout the week, streaming movies. But while the data increases, our capacity to process it does not. Here's my favorite quote about that. Speaking about 50 years ago, scholar Herbert Simon said, information consumes the attention of its recipients. A wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. Which brings us to a third kind of noise, the noise inside our heads. The noise outside amplifies the noise inside and colonizes our attention. We're distracted by a parade of incoming hits, noise, noise, and information overload, and phone calls, emails, texts, instant messages, and social media notifications, all bringing the expectation that we are on all the time. Read, react, respond. We're stressed, uncertain, fretful, fearful, worried. In 2018, pre-pandemic, the American Psychological Association found that 39% of Americans reported being more anxious than they were the year before. And that internal chatter those cyclical negative thoughts and emotions, rumination about the past, worry for the future, oh, it's brutal. Ethan Cross, a professor of psychology at the University of Michigan, explains, the voice inside your head is a very fast talker. It turns out that inner speech is condensed to a rate of about 4,000 words per minute, 10 times the speed of express speech. Dr. Cross estimates that we have to listen to something like 320 State of the Union addresses worth of inner monologue on any given day. The 17th century French philosopher Blaise Pascal said, all our miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. All three kinds of noise auditory, informational, and internal, have a huge impact on our quality of life. They are running interference with our joy. And what is the antidote? One word, silence. Swiss writer and philosopher Max Picard wrote a beautiful piece in which he begins by exhorting us to seriously weigh the costs and benefits of all the noise we indulge in and generate. Silence, he wrote, is the only phenomenon today that is useless. It does not fit into the world of profit and utility. It simply is. It seems to have no other purpose. It cannot be exploited. There is more help and healing in silence, he says, than in all the useful things in the world. It makes things whole again by taking them back from the world of dissipation into the world of wholeness. It gives things something of its own holy uselessness, for that is what silence itself is, holy uselessness. Vijay Eswaran, who wrote a book called In the Sphere of Silence, was inspired by his grandfather, who lived with his family. Every morning, he writes, my grandfather would wake up at the crack of dawn and sit in complete silence for an hour. Even as the rest of the household stirred awake and the various morning rituals unfolded around him, he stayed still and quiet. Nothing could distract him during that time. He called it muna Varatam, meaning silent fasting a ritual of meditative silence long practiced in Indian Hinduism. He believed that abstaining from speaking for a set period each day brought him inner peace and made him a better listener. The guidelines for Mona, the Hindu vow of silence, feel very accessible and helpful. The idea is to choose a realistic period of time, Ten minutes would be a good place to begin and take these four easy steps. One, stop talking. Stop talking. Stop all the verbal and nonverbal communication. Put your devices down. Two, introspect. Watch your mind. Three, allow your physical silence to become silence of the mind. Allow your physical Mona to become Maona of the mind. Just be mindful. And four, allow Mona to work its magic. Don't force it. Don't wrestle with your mind. As you keep silence, Open your heart of compassion. You will begin to notice the noise in your mind without emotion or judgment. Maona Varatam. When you choose to speak again, you will notice increased willpower. You will feel less irritable, less tendency towards impulsive speech. You are a better listener and more articulate. You are at peace. The Roman statesman Marcus Tullus Cicero, born more than 100 years before the Common Era, wrote, silence is one of the great arts of conversation. I'm thinking again of Kimberly Snow's vow of silence. Her experience of standing in her kitchen at the Tibetan Buddhist retreat center As practitioners come and go, her growing reputation as a good conversationalist. When talk is happening, other things don't happen, can't happen, she says. Those other things are what I'm after. And I'm not about to start talking again until the silence has done its work. Even then, it will take something truly substantial to make me speak. Beloved spiritual companions, may we know silence and the power of silence. Let us allow silence to work its magic in our lives. i going to invite you to take a deep breath and breathe with me for a quiet moment now. This is Chilean poet and diplomat Pablo Neruda's Keeping Quiet. Now we will count to 12, and we will all keep still. For once on the face of the earth, Let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for one second and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales. And the man gathering salt would look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victory with no survivors, would put on clean clothes and walk about with their siblings in the shade, doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it is about. I want nothing to do with death. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a great silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us as when everything seems dead, and then everything is alive. Now I'll count to 12, and you keep quiet, and I'll go. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. May we be reminded here of our highest aspirations and inspired to bring our gifts of love and service to the altar of humanity. May we deeply experience that we are not isolated beings, but connected in mystery and miracle to one another and to every living being. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.